Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast that's about to become a stone cold bummer. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Wait, are you telling me that the French Revolution ended badly for the aristocracy? Spoiler alert. Stone Cold Bummer is one of my favorite WWE wrestlers. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, uh, um, I was going to make a joke about 316, but yeah, I'm not yeah. very funny. That one. <laughs> Stone Cold Bummer 316. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that one. Welcome to the third and final installment in our Marie Antoinette series that was supposed to be one episode and then got way out of hand. I'm feeling a mounting pressure to also do a long episode at some point. <laughs> I feel like the gauntlet's been thrown down. I think you need to at some point. I am excited to I am excited to find out what that topic might be. Cuz I, I feel like you could go real weird with it. I mean, I am going real weird with weird with my next episode, but it definitely cannot be 3 hours on it. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> Maybe leave that for, like, the later part of the season. Oh, just wait. It's going to be about fucking aliens. Of course it's going to be about aliens. I will list my sources one final time. Again, big thanks to Marie Antoinette, The Journey by Antonia Fraser, the book that I inhaled in the week before I wrote, started writing the episode. I'm proud of you for actually finishing your book before doing the episode. Yes. <laughs> it was a book I had been, like, that was why I kept putting this off. I was like, oh, I haven't finished the book yet, and I really want to, like, finish the book. And then I picked up the book with 75% of it left. And that was basically all I did for a week. It's, it's a good book, though. Um, also, thanks to Wikipedia, Encycl- Encyclopedia Britannica, The New Yorker, and a big, big thanks to this article I found on Smithsonian Magazine. I'm actually going to figure out what the title of it was. Um, because Antonia Frazier, for being a wonderful author, gets so in the weeds about the French Revolution that I kind of tuned it out. So the Smithsonian um, Meg article that's just, I guess it's just entitled Marie Antoinette. It was released the same time uh, as the movie came out. Did a really great job of helping me summarize. So I, I've i been waiting to tell the story, and thankfully my sister doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, lovely. So the movie Marie Antoinette came out. Everybody loved it. Of course. And I was talking to my mom and sister about the movie. And I said something about, like, something historically and mm-hmm. stuff. And my sister, who is a teacher, pre-med in college as well, oh my God. stops and looks at me and says, Marie Antoinette was a real person? Well, I mean, I'll, if she was pre-med, I'll cut her some slack. Maybe her interests interest just did not lie in history, and that's okay. They did not. <laughs> <laughs> that's a darling story. I'm sure she would love to know that you just told that story to our tens of listeners. <laughs> I mean, it's a dozen more people that know the story. So yes, yes. Uh, I do want to just say there's a light trigger warning for some talk of sexual abuse in this episode. Oh, great. Uh, we don't, I promise we do not get into heavy detail about any of it, but just wanted to give the warning that it will be mentioned. Are we going to talk about all the stuff that the movie presumably skipped over? Yes. So the movie Marie Antoinette ends um, at a point we'll get to very shortly where the family is like forced to leave Versailles. uh, And then it ends. And that's okay. Because that's not the kind of movie that needs to get into all of the stuff we're going to talk about. 
which is really rough. <laughs> great. That's great, also great, just great, a great, general great. trigger warning for this entire episode. It really is just a march of misery. <laughs> I'm really selling it. We gave you the penis episode. We gave you the <laughs> other penis episode. No penises in this episode. We probably. gave you TikTok astrology in the middle there. Like, it's time to make you suffer. Uh, and with that, Emily, do you want to give us just a kind of a brief recap of what we learned on our last episode uh, that we literally just recorded? Uh, <laughs> okay. So I'm sure this would actually be easier to do after you had edited the episode. Yeah, that's when I actually pay attention to it. Um, so Marie Antoinette and uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman are, I haven't called Kirsten Dunst out at all during this. Um, Kirsten Dunst and Jason Schwartzman are the, are the king and queen, and they were doing a pretty good job. Everyone seemed to like them. Uh, they, they finally figured out how sex works uh, good for them. Uh, Marie Antoinette had measles. Um, she started to get really into dressing like a peasant woman, uh, cottagecore. Um, yeah, cottagecore. And then the French people were like, damn, y'all spending a lot of money. And they were like, uh-huh, we are. And then didn't stop spending a lot of money. <laughs> and also, uh, nobles and, and the clergy didn't have to pay taxes, which was a problem. And then the people were like, well, fuck you. And they raided a place for some guns. Yeah. Good recap, actually. That's a very succinct, very succinct summary of what we had covered. Uh, so yes, uh, as we were wrapping up the last episode, it just been the storming of the Bastille, which you may recognize uh, from the French holiday Bastille Day. Oh, that's what that's about. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's about that. Uh, so that is, uh, that is now kind of the French Independence Day to some degree. Uh, it's not a one-to-one equivalent, um, but it would also mark the end of basically all real authority of King Louis the Sixteenth. He has lost lost his control at this point. Does France use a king now? <sighs> no. Okay. They have a prime minister. Yes, president. I think actually a president. Okay. They do have a president. I don't know how their legislature works. Uh, we're not going to get into it. No. No kings, though. That's the important part. <laughs> So in the weeks following July 14th, the National Assembly would eliminate a number of privileges enjoyed by the nobility, declare a free press, and put an end to serfdom in France. Uh, And they would also draft a declaration of the the rights of man and the citizen. There was some fancy French name for it, but... Not the rights of women. No. Just the rights of man. (laughs) Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Uh, So with the political situation deteriorating, it was decided that it was high time for some of the king and queen's favorites to flee the country... First on the list was the Duchess de Polignac, who was hated almost as much as Marie Antoinette at this point, um, being her favorite in all, as well as the king's brother and his wife, the Comte and Comtesse d'Artois. Marie Antoinette. Probably a good idea to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marie Antoinette did try uh, and ultimately failed to convince Louis to take refuge with his army at the fortress of Metz, uh, but he refused. I just think he. He either didn't think the threat was that real or didn't want to look like a coward that was running away. Probably, I, mean, I don't know, one of those. But when he refused, she remained determined to stay by his side regardless. Uh, there's already some talk about this point, not among the royalists, but among the National Assembly, um, of putting her away in a convent because she was, again, deeply unpopular. 
Uh, the rumors, of course, were that she had remained behind because she wanted to destroy the National Assembly. And also while she was at it, oh, for the love of God, yeah, also while she was at it, uh, get her brother to invade France and put an end to the revolution, which I mean, that probably would have worked. Yeah. As we'll come to learn, she did not try to do that. On October 5th, a mob of market women, thousands strong and armed with pikes and sickles, set out from Paris on the 12-mile March to Versailles. Uh, The crowd would continue to grow throughout the day until there were probably about 10,000 screaming revolutionaries outside the palace, demanding that the king and queen be removed to Paris. Uh, Around (laughs) Things are getting bad, and it's all downhill from here. Uh, around five the next morning, some of the crowd managed to break into the palace and surge towards Marie Antoinette's bedroom with the aim of killing her. Uh, they did manage to take out two of their guards, but Marie Antoinette fled to the king's quarters uh, and the royal family huddled there in his dining hall until the Marquis de Lafayette. Yes, that Marquis de Lafayette. Oh, that one. Oh, the one from Hamilton. David Diggs. Yes, David Diggs. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> arrived with his newly formed National Guard to restore order. Uh, in the next day, the royal family departed from Versailles, never to return. Uh, their new home, at least for now, would be the Tuileries Palace in Paris, built by Catherine de' Medici in the 16th century. Uh, this palace had long been neglected by the recent kings of France in favor of Versailles, so it was kind of run down and a little ramshackle. Um, apparently, the room that they gave to the young Dauphin, Louis Charles, needed to be barricaded with furniture because the doors wouldn't shut. Like, it was a grand palace. 200 years ago. So they wanted to, to take the royal family to Paris to, I assume, like, punish them. So the they fled to Paris? Yeah. So essentially what they wanted was to get the king and queen to Paris because then they could be controlled a little easier. They're not 12 miles away in Versailles. They are in the middle of Paris where the people can presumably keep an eye on them. They're not exactly, like, prisoners at this point. Like, they can come and go. Like, I think the Madame Tons, Louise, um aunts like at one point like up and went to rome to visit uh, to celebrate easter like they're not necessarily locked down but there's like there is a re- kind of a restriction of their movement they're essentially like their royal guard uh, their royal bodyguards are gone it's now the national guard that is keeping an eye on them they're right in the middle of paris they can't easily okay skedaddle uh it's said that the king withdrew during this time as indecisive as he always was. Uh, so it was Marie Antoinette, actually, who stepped up to take his place. So she held counsel with ministers and even conducted some secret negotiations with uh, the Count Amir Beau, who was an influential legislature within the National Assembly, who would eventually argue for the preservation of a constitutional monarchy. I mean, I'm not saying a monarchy monarchy is a good idea, but I feel like there was some overreaction. A little bit. <laughs> Monarchy as a system is bad. Yes. This episode will demonstrate, and as it concludes. Uh, but, like, oh boy, the the point you're chopping off heads, well, look at there. That's the overreaction I was referring to. <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert. Some head cutting off of. Just a little bit. Despite these negotiations, Marie Antoinette, she's still, she's still kind of planning some contingencies. Uh, so while at the Tuileries, she would write hundreds of letters to other European sovereigns, sometimes even in like invisible ink. It was very, you know, on the down low. Jesus. Um, pleading with them to invade France and restore the monarchy. <laughs> Uh, her primary focus, of course, of course, was her brother, the Holy Roman Empire Emperor Leopold II, who had succeeded their oldest brother Joseph in 1790. 
Uh, but this was not a guarantee. While Marie Antoinette had been close with Joseph, she was not as close with Leopold, and his general attitude was kind of apathetic. Though he did watch the situation in France closely, and, you know, the worst things got... His sister! Yeah, yeah, but, like, they were also separated by, like, 12 kids. I wouldn't say they grew up together by any means. Still! They shared the same parents, but he had never really known her the same way. All right. I don't know. He's he's just he's not nearly as invested as, you know, Emperor Joseph coming to Versailles to give his sister the sex talk. Well, not even give his sister the sex talk, give his brother-in-law the sex talk, which is yeah. somehow worse. Yes. So, unfortunately, Mirabeau would die in April 1791 without securing the Assembly's promise to retain Louis as a constitutional monarch. Uh, and so the Queen put another plan into action. She reached out uh, to the lovely Count Fersen who, along with other royalist um, sympathizers, began to lay plans for the royal family to plead to flee to the town of Montmédy, which is a town in northeastern France. So from there, they could conceivably launch a royalist counter-revolution. You should probably just leave France and let it be. I think. I would, I would just get the hell out of there. I'd be like, you know what? Not worth it. <laughs> didn't, want it th- didn't want this enough. I- nope. Not that invested. <laughs> Uh, So despite the advice that the best way to flee would be in two light carriages, the queen was reluctant to split her family up, which I I get. Um, So instead, she commissioned a big lumbering coach called a Berlin, which uh, came with such luxuries as silver dinner service, clothes press, and a small wine chest. Not necessary. (laughs) Less understandable. Uh, It was Ferson, actually, who made arrangements for the coach and even mortgaged his estate to pay for it. Oh. That's true love. Buying your married girlfriend a big coach. (laughs) Uh, The royal family slipped away from the Tuileries late in the evening of June 20th, 1791, disguised as servants. Ferson, acting as their coach driver, accompanied them for part of the way. Uh, His wish had been that he would take them all the way to their destination, um, but the king decided instead that he should depart and reunite with him later at Montmédy. That person should depart, I should clarify. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not entirely clear, like, why he wanted this to happen. Like, there's certainly, like, some people think he found it humiliating that person, his wife's lover, was helping them escape. Um, others think, like, you know, probably he just didn't want people to think a foreigner had helped them escape. Like, that also not a great look. Both things are stupid in this <laughs> Like, it doesn't yes. matter. <laughs> and it would be a fateful decision, because they would only make it as far as Varennes, which, to be fair, is pretty close to the Austrian border at this point. Uh, but this is a village 130 miles east of Paris. Uh, but the conspicuous Berlin was noticed, and the king eventually recognized. And so the party was held at a city official's house. Um, and although royalist troops would eventually arrive to free them, Louis started waffling again, kind of... There was a huh. you know an armed mob growing outside, and he didn't want there to be a big fight. <laughs> so uh, it's here, especially where the decision to dismiss Versen really came back back to bite them. Like if he had been there, like being a military man, being you know not Louis the Sixteenth and actually capable of making decisions, yep. he probably could have you know taken a little bit more action. The family conceivably could have made it to safety. Uh, but he was not there, and eventually emissaries from the National Assembly would arrive to escort the family back to the Tuileries. Uh, there is a story, maybe probably apocryphal, that on her return to the Tuileries, Marie Antoinette's hair had turned, like, completely white. I mean, I don't, I don't think. I don't think that's how hair works. It's not. But, <laughs> but like, I'm sure, 
I think what it represents is true. Just the like the emotional toll that that something like that would take on you. Oh yeah, yeah. So it it isn't true in fact, but it is true in vibes. <laughs> the vibe is right. <laughs> the vibe is right. The only vibe that's going to be right for the rest of this episode. Pretty much. So a new constitution was accepted by Louis on September 14th. Uh, He would, at least for now, remain a constitutional monarch. Uh, His title was King of the French, which is different (laughs) from King of France. Uh, But his powers were very limited. He could choose ministers. um, And he can also, um, he couldn't declare war himself, but he could ask the legislative assembly to go to war. And the legislative assembly couldn't go to war if he hadn't asked them. So it's kind of like how England works. Yeah. Yeah, it's a more rapid version of how England ended up figuring it out. Uh, Fersen would make one more attempt at freeing the royal family in February 1792. Uh, He actually did manage to sneak into the now heavily guarded Tutheries Palace and spent about 30 hours there, but Louis eventually rejected his plan to escape through Normandy. Uh, (sighs) And then Fersen, yeah. Man. Fersen then departed, and this is when he said goodbye to Marie Antoinette for the last time. So sad. Oh, well, there's uh, just about everything I'm going to say is going to, you know, understandably have that reaction. I look forward to it. <laughs> In April, Louis would be forced to declare war against Austria by the National Assembly, uh, which was preparing to invade France to restore Alsace, which at the time was occupied by the French. This is one of those regions that goes back and forth between uh-huh. Germany and France for centuries. So it's kind of both. Uh, isn't Marie Antoinette's family Austrian? Yes. So her brother is the one that's doing this? Yep. (laughs) Great. Good work. Not necessarily that Austria had invaded France, but that um, I think Alsace was just German at this time. And they weren't necessarily actively invading France, but they were being... Dicks France was a little jumpy. Yeah. (laughs) And France was like, we're going to cut this off. We're going to go ahead and just pre-invade you. Good, you're good work, everybody. Us. Yeah. Uh, so they would invade the Austrian Netherlands, but uh, the revolutionary army was disorganized, not terribly successful. <laughs> uh, so then the Austrians invaded in turn, proclaiming that their intent was not only to restore Alsace, but to restore the royal family to power. Assuming, um, and rightfully so, that the royal family was conspiring with the enemy, yet another mob stormed the Tuileries Palace on the 10th of August, Killing more than a thousand guards and noblemen. Jesus H. Christ! Yeah. That's so many! <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, it was That was just like a whole bad summer. Like, I kind of skipped over it. But there was like, on the anniversary of their attempt to flee, there was like another whole thing where people like just came into the Tuileries and menaced the royal family for a night. <laughs> Right. They had a really harrowing summer, and that was not even the worst of it. Louis and Marie Antoinette, along with their children, were eventually forced to flee to the nearby National Assembly and beg for their protection. Uh, instead, the Assembly would vote to imprison Louis, Marie Antoinette, their children, and Louis' sister Elizabeth in the temple. Great. Uh, so the temple uh, was a great deal less comfortable than the Tutheries. Uh, so their new residence in particular would be a building called the Tower, which was a medieval fortress adjacent to a palace that had once been owned by the Comte d'Artois. Marie Antoinette had always had kind of a horror about the Tower, whether like whether this was some sort of premonition of the future or just like the fact that it was an ugly building and she lived for the aesthetic. I'm guessing it was that. Yeah. There was a visit to her brother-in-law where she actually tried to persuade him to knock it down. 
Uh, and then later on their arrival to the temple, she had exclaimed to her children's governess, you will see that they will put us in the tower. They will make that a real prison for us. And wouldn't you know it? Not that there wasn't kind of a silver lining, not not a silver lining necessarily, but like there were there were nice things. And one of those nice things was now that they were completely free from the formality of court, like Marie Antoinette actually got to live out this simple domestic ideal that she had been I kind of- I don't think that's how she wanted it to happen. no. But, like, she was able to spend time with her children, actually, which she couldn't necessarily do in Versailles, because the children were minded by others. Yeah. And so, like, she got to do that. Like, it was Louis and Marie Antoinette giving their children lessons. Like, they got, she did her needlework. They played chess together. Like, it was a very domestic sort of scene. Uh, But again, imprisoned in a tower in the middle of a revolution where everyone wants to kill you. Yeah, I, again, I don't think that's exactly how she wanted it to yeah. happen. Not not ideal circumstances by any means. Uh, so outside the tower, of course, the revolution was becoming more violent than ever. Uh, so less than a week after their arrival, it was announced that their remaining attendants, including the queen's former favorite, still her friend, the Princess de Lamballe, were to be separated from the royal family and transferred to the Laforce prison. Ugh. Just weeks later, there would be an assault on the prisons by the people of Paris. Prisoners were dragged from their cells and put in front of a hastily assembled tribunal. Those deemed guilty were released into the yard where they would immediately be killed by the mob outside. Not a good scene. Uh, When it was her turn in front of the tribunal, the Princess de Lamballe was asked if she could swear an oath to liberty and quality and the hatred of the king and the queen. Readily to the former, she replied, but I cannot to the latter. It is not in my heart. The Princess de Lamballe was released into the courtyard where she was immediately set upon the mob and killed by a blow from a hammer. Ah, probably several blows. It was. Yeah. Yeah. She she did not meet a a peaceful fate. Uh, Afterwards, her head was cut off and paraded through the streets of Paris at the end of a pike. (sighs) The French are so dramatic. (laughs) Like. It's. uh, Like everyone needs. They're really going for it. (laughs) Like, I, the revolution was necessary, like, things weren't working, but goddamn, guys. Uh, at some point, it said that the crowd decided that they were going to take the head of the princess to the temple so that the queen could bestow a, f- bestow a final kiss on the lips of the woman she had loved. Again, like, they believed. Jesus. So, to make sure she was recognizable, they took her head to a barber so that her famous blonde curls could be properly dressed. I hate this. Uh, Marie Antoinette, mercifully, was kept away from the window. She never did see the head, thankfully. Uh, Good, because this has vibes of Game of Thrones. Like it's when very they Game of Thrones. Strapped Rob Stark's body <laughs> to that horse. Yeah, very much so. Uh, she was aware, though, of what was happening and um, what the crowd was trying to show her. The riding lasted until five o'clock, and according to her daughter's account, the queen wept all through the night, as is understandable. As you expect. That's- she didn't want. The thing that gets me is that she didn't want any of this shit. Yeah, like, she, she didn't just, ask for it. She's just hanging out in Austria. And, like, yes, she could have behaved better. But there was, at no point was there any opportunity for her to, like, have a reality check. Because she was just surrounded by all of this, like, aristocratic bullshit her entire life. And I don't think there was ever an opportunity for her to make a choice. Like, no, she, she didn't get to pick choices. her husband. She didn't get to pick what kind of queen she was going to be. She was living up to the expectations of what the previous French queens had set for her. Yeah, it was all just people telling her what to do. Yeah, and that isn't to say, like, I, well, I'll, I'll talk more about this at the end of the episode. I, 
I'm not going to try and do it off the cuff because I will not do it justice. But uh, around this time, an election was held and the National Assembly was replaced by National Convention. Uh, Soon after, they abolished the French monarchy entirely, and in its place, they established the First French Republic. No longer royal, Louis and Marie Antoinette were stripped of their titles and given the last name Capet. Okay. So, I mean, they didn't have last names. They were just Louis and Marie Antoinette. Now I guess I never thought about that. Louis Capet and, yeah, Marie Antoinette Capet. Or Antoinette Capet. I can't remember what they called her, but... It's a bad name. Yeah. I think it means, like, royal or some... Not anymore. In November, evidence was found that Louis was corresponding with foreign leaders, plotting counter-revolution, and he was separated from his family, uh, having been given the choice that he could either continue to see his children, or he could leave them with his mother, but they wouldn't be allowed to have contact with both parents. What did they expect him to do? Like, just sit and take it? The revolution? Yeah, like... Essentially. (laughs) I think so. I don't... Yeah, and I, like, I don't know... I think it puts you in a hard position kind of as a revolutionary, because if you kill them, you make them a martyr. But if you leave them around, they can inspire people to do shit. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's so they uh, not, not to cut the revolutionaries any slack, but like they didn't have good, great options either. No, no one had good options. This all sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, knowing the pain it would cause Marie Antoinette to be separated from her children. He chose for them to remain with her. On the eve of his trial, he would write of his wife and beg her to forgive him for, quote, all the ills she has suffered for my sake and for any grief that I may have caused her in the course of her marriage, as she may be certain that I hold nothing against her. Yeah, they seem to really like each other. Yeah. Uh, His trial began in late December and lasted three weeks. Um, While he had been given lawyers and was allowed to prepare a defense, the trial was less about what Louis had done and more about, you know, who he was. Yeah. He was singular (laughs) representative. like singular representation of the monarchy as a whole. And if you're going to kill the monarchy, you better start with the king. Yeah. yeah. And kill the monarchy, like as a concept, you're going to have to kill the monarch. Even if he is the softest boy in all of the France. softest, sweetest boy. In the end, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Uh, he would be allowed to spend just a few hours with his family on the eve of his execution. He urged his son to forgive the enemies who were about to cause his death. And for some time, the family huddled together, crying. In the end, Louis was only able to persuade them to leave by promising that he would see them again the next morning, but this was not to be. God damn it, I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah. On January 21st, 1783, Louis the Sixteenth, at the age of 38 was beheaded by guillotine before a crowd of 20,000. Oh, he made it to 38? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> his executioner would later testify that the former king had bravely met his fate. R.I.P. <laughs> the softest boy of France. Uh, following the execution of Louis the Fifteenth, Marie Antoinette's official designation became the Widow Capet. Uh, that sounds like a, an old woman who never leaves her house. Yeah, she's thirty-seven at this point. Uh, Marie Antoinette was devastated. So whatever, like we've kind of said this already, but like whatever awkwardness their early marriage had, like she and Louis had grown very close in. Over the course of their marriage, they certainly loved each other, even if that wasn't expressly a romantic love. Well, they were married for over 20 years. Yeah, longer than that, I think. They got married when they were 14 and 15. and So, yeah, like 23 years. Yeah, that's a long time to share your life with someone. Uh, Following his death, their daughter would later write she no longer had any hope left in her heart. 
Uh, their son, Louis Charles, who was just eight years old at the time, was given the title of Louis Seventeenth, at least, you know, in royalist circles abroad, not actually in France. Yeah, I don't think that was an official title. Yeah. He was also never officially recognized by any former, like, foreign powers. No one, no one was actually crowning this kid king. But um, the queen's future, at least in that moment, was uncertain. So people certainly had been calling for it, but there wasn't any historical precedent to queen consorts being executed. Uh, and technically speaking, her marriage contract gave her the right to choose whether to remain in France or to return to Austria on the death of her husband. So she could have just fucked right off to Austria. Uh, if she had had the freedom to, yes. <laughs> she could have. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is that. She she was not given that option in reality. But legally speaking, she could have. Um at the very least, there was kind of the possibility that they maybe would do a prisoner exchange, but the new Holy Roman Empire, Emperor, because we've got another one now, was largely different. Um, so by this point, Leopold has died, and Marie Antoinette's nephew, Francis, is on the throne. And so he, <laughs> I was going to say, we talked about how like Leopold was kind of indifferent to Marie Antoinette. Francis had yeah. never met Marie Antoinette. He, She was just some aunt he had never met. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I guess at that point, everyone in Europe was related somehow, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and she also, like, she hadn't done a lot to advance the Habsburg agenda in France, so he probably didn't really see the point, like. Other than her being, like, a a, a human being. Yeah, but, I mean. Yeah. Uh, there were a few more escape plans floated, but Marie Antoinette absolutely refused to leave her children. She wasn't going to do it. Um, and at this point, I don't think an escape would have been fruitful like her health at this point was failing like she's only 37 but she's 37 in the 1700s yeah she's had a rough life so uh she suffered from frequent hemorrhages um likely the results yeah like likely she had and i did not really get into this because it's a bummer but basically like you birth four children in 1770s france (laughs) And you're going to have oh, some complications. Yeah, well. yeah. Like, so she had some of that going on. She suffered from convulsions and fainting fits. And it's also possible she was already in the state early stages of tuberculosis. Like, who in her family hasn't died of tuberculosis at this point? Well, the ones that died of smallpox, yes. Sarah. <laughs> on July 3rd, Marie Antoinette was informed that due to a reported plot to abduct the young boy and install him as king, Louis Charles was going to be separated from his family and moved to a more secure part of the tower. On learning this, Marie Antoinette clung to her son fiercely. It was only threats um, of killing Marie Therese that persuaded her to release him. Louis Charles was moved just far enough that while the family couldn't see him, they could hear him sobbing at night. God damn it! This is this is the part that got me. Uh, there was exactly one position in their apartments where um, if Marie Antoinette craned her head, like if she like sat up against the wall and craned her head sideways. She could see him as she, he was being escorted to his lessons and back and forth from where they were keeping him. So she would just spend hours sitting there just trying to catch a glimpse of him. I'm so it's, glad they didn't put this in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that ruin the whole vibe of the movie? <laughs> Predictably, maybe Louis Charles was subject to just terrible treatment at the hands of his jailers. Um, there were certainly attempts made to re-educate him to be a good little revolutionary. He was beaten for crying. Um, they liked to give him wine because they thought it was funny to watch him get drunk. So they're just taking all their shit out on this little boy who's never, yeah. like, he's not making decisions. No. <laughs> the the poor boy has done nothing except be born. <sighs> it's It's heartbreaking. 
Uh, on August 2nd, Marie Antoinette would also be moved for the last time to a prison at the conciergerie. On her departure from the tower, she hit her head against a low beam, and when asked if she was hurt, she replied that she now felt no pain at all. Well, <laughs> if you're going to go out, might as well go out with a concussion. <laughs> uh, if the temple had been house arrest, the conciergerie was an actual prison. So the cells were dark and humid. There were guards posted outside her cell day and night. And the only privacy she was afforded was like a half curtain that was four feet tall. So there's also just the matter of boredom. That was nearly unbearable. Like Maria, all Marie Antoinette had to pass the time was like watching the guards play cards outside her cell. Um, she had asked for her knitting box to be set from the temple, but this wasn't allowed. So instead she pulled threads from the wallpaper and weaved them into garters. That is so Grim. sad. Yes. Yeah, this is our comedy podcast about Marie Antoinette. Uh, among those who came to see the former queen during her time at the conciergerie was the Chevalier Alexandre de Rogueville, who dropped a carnation at her feet. Hidden within the petals was a note saying that he would try to rescue her, and which urged the queen to respond by pricking out a message with a pin. Uh, in the end, the plot would fail, but even if it hadn't, Marie Antoinette's response had been negative. She was no longer interested in She's being done. rescued. Yeah, I would be too. Like We've talked about like if we were in a zombie apocalypse, we would just give up because who the fuck wants to deal with that? <laughs> that would yeah. be kind of my feeling here too. Like, woof. After the discovery of the carnation plot, as it was called, the queen was moved to another cell deeper within the conciergerie. While the queen held up well during her subsequent interrogation, her fate had basically already been decided at this point um, at a secret meeting of the National Convention's Committee of Public Safety. Uh, I'm glad they put public safety <laughs> on the case of this yes, 38-year-old this woman. 38-year-old woman who is in prison and bleeding constantly. Apart from the escape attempt, they had secured even more damaging accusations, which is... Um, Having been caught masturbating, Louis Charles had been coerced by his jailers into making allegations of sexual abuse against his mother as well his, as his aunt. Uh, Marie Antoinette was put on trial on October 14th, 1793, um, a 32-hour ordeal carried out over two days. Uh, unlike Louis XVI, who had at least been given, you know, a couple of weeks with his lawyers to prepare a defense, even if it was, you know, a sham defense basically she was yeah. she was barely given a few hours they they had kind of made up their minds yeah it seems like just a formality at this point basically yeah you gotta go through the motions uh her appearance when brought before the tribunal was in stark contrast to the image many probably had of the dazzling woman decked out in diamonds and ostrich feathers uh instead she was in a threadbare black dress and her face was sunken and pale uh, still, she remained calm and composed, politely indifferent, as she was cross-examined and giving only short, non-committal replies. Cross-examined for what? What are they prosecuting her for? Well, uh, she was accused of making secret arrangements with Austria and Prussia. How? Magic. Um, of shipping money abroad to Louis's two younger brothers, who were still in exile. Uh, and also just generally conspiring with the enemies of France, as you do. Uh, the prosecution also harped on how she had domineered over the weak Louis Capet in laying all of his political failures squarely at her feet. Because if a man does something wrong, it's probably the fault of one fault. of the women in his life. Jesus. Uh, it was only the accusations of her son, Louis Charles, that like really rattled her. So um, when a response was demanded, Marie Antoinette said, if I have not replied, it is because nature itself refuses to respond to such a charge laid, laid against a mother. I appeal to all mothers who may be present. 
Uh, if her response garnered any sympathy, it was brief and inconsequential. Uh, when the trial finally concluded, Marie Antoinette was found guilty on all counts and, like her husband, sentenced to death. I knew this was coming, but it's still infuriating. Everyone knows how the story ends, but don't you always kind of wish it goes the other way? Often. On the eve of her execution, the former queen wrote a final letter to the king's sister, Elizabeth. I am calm, she assured her, as people are whose conscience is clear. She sent instructions to her children to look out for her, out for each other, and reminded Louis Charles of the promise he had made to his father to never avenge their deaths. Um, Of his very damaging allegation, she wrote, forgive him, my dear sister. Think of his age and how easy it is to make a child say what one wants, even things he doesn't understand. Yeah, it's almost like we've covered a subject kind of like this I was going to say, she basically predicted this satanic panic. On the morning of her execution, Marie Antoinette was forced to dress under the watchful eyes of her guards, who had been given strict orders not to let her out of their sight. Um, She was also forbidden from wearing her typical black mourning clothes, as the color had become symbolic of monarchist sympathies. Uh, Instead, she wore a simple white dress at the time. Um, No one had remembered that in the past, white had actually been the traditional color of mourning of the Queens of France. Uh, once dressed, kind of forgot what was left of her white hair had been hacked short. Her hands were bound, and she was led to a cart where she was made to sit with her back to the horses. One last humiliating display before the people of Paris. Ugh. Still, by every account, Marie Antoinette went to her death with an unassailable composure. As she stepped onto the scaffold, she accidentally stepped onto her, ex- onto her executioner's shoe. <laughs> Pardon me, she told him. Her very last words were, "I did not do it on purpose." God damn it! <laughs> yeah, that's the part that gets me too. At exactly 12.15 on Wednesday, October 16th, 1793, Marie Antoinette was beheaded by guillotine. <sighs> so, following her execution, Marie Antoinette was buried in the same mass grave where her husband's body had been interred just 10 months earlier. Um, before her burial, the grave diggers broke for lunch. They were hungry, uh, leaving her head and body on the grass unattended. Um, in this game, gave a woman uh, by a name who you might recognize. Her name was Marie Tussaud. Oh, that yeah, bitch! Who had been employed to make death masks of the revolution's most famous victims. Um, kind of against her will, I will add. Um, so it gave her time to sculpt the queen's face in wax. Uh, while the public reaction in France was, of course, ecstatic, the news of the queen's death was devastating to, royal- to royalists. Uh, so the Duchess de Polignac, who was in exile in Switzerland at the time, died just two months after Marie Antoinette. It is said that she had likely died of a or that she had died of a broken heart. Most historians believe like she was likely suffering from cancer, but I don't think the grief helped. <laughs> to be honest, no, probably not. Uh, Count Fersen kept October sixteenth as a day of mourning for the rest of his life, no. which also wouldn't be very long. <laughs> in eighteen ten. He, too, would meet a violent end when a Stockholm mob, mob, wrongly believing that he had poisoned the heir to the Swedish throne, beat him to death in the streets. God This was damn. a new fact to me in researching this episode. I was like, they just ripped Jamie Dornan apart in the streets of Stockholm. For something that he probably didn't do. He definitely didn't do, as far as I can tell. Ugh. And this is, okay, we've reached the part of the episode where um, the credits are rolling. And we're getting freeze frames of all our favorite characters and learning what happened to them. And none, <laughs> and none of it's, of it's great. <laughs> uh, Louis Charles, the young Dauphin, would remain isolated from his sister and aunt, uh, the latter of which would also be executed by guillotine later the next year, the king's sister. Uh, the Dauphin himself yeah. would pass away on June 8th, 1795, likely from the same tuberculosis that had killed his older brother. 
Um, <laughs> there would, of course, be a number of Falsto fans that surfaced in the years following the revolution. Um, and while it's always nice to think that these poor royal children somehow managed to avoid their fate, uh, this was not none of none of these uh, claimants were true. Yeah, it's some Anastasia yeah, shit. Uh, in 2000, DNA testing was done on all things a preserved heart that had been stolen by one of the doctors who had performed the boy's autopsy. Um, and through mitochondrial DNA, they were able to link the remains to Marie Antoinette and two of her sisters. Uh, Marie Therese, People were so fucking weird. <laughs> the queen's oldest daughter, would be the only member of the royal family to survive the French Revolution. Uh, and she would eventually be released in a prisoner exchange. So she made it out of France. Uh, and she would later actually marry her first cousin, the Duke d'Angoulême, uh, who is that little prince we mentioned at the beginning of the last episode, the first um, prince of his generation. I just... Uh, her first cousin. I mean, what do you expect? For what it's worth, uh, the marriage itself would prove to be very unhappy and in a strange echo of her mother's early marriage, likely never consummated. Yeah, because they weren't (laughs) educating people. Uh, In 1814, following the exile of Napoleon to the island of Alba, Louis' brother, the Comte de Provence, assumed the French throne as Louis XVIII. So during his reign, he would have the bodies of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were buried in the Cathedral of Saint-Denis. That's nice, at least. Um, After his passing, succession would briefly pass to the Comte d'Artois, then known as Charles X. Uh, in the Marie Therese, who was married to his son, would then hold her mother's former title of Madame La, Dauf- La Dauphine um, for the six years of his reign. Charles X would eventually abdicate in 1830. Some devoted royalists took to calling her Majesty on the grounds that she was the last queen of France. Uh, she would eventually die in Vienna at the age of 73 in October 1851. Well, I'm glad she got to live that At long. least someone did. <laughs> Even if it did kind of suck a little bit. It, it doesn't sound like she had a happy life, but I'm hoping she found peace at some point. It's woof. Hopefully. Um, Marie Antoinette and her legacy would certainly make an impression on many of the royals who would follow her. In particular, we have to mention our good king, King Ludwig of Bavaria, who designed his palace in Lindenhof as a replica of the Petit Trianon. Uh, and then Alexandria, the last arena of Russia, you know, Anastasia's mom. Uh, yep. <laughs> ironically enough, actually kept a picture of Marie Antoinette on her desk in the Winter Palace. Oh, girl. And on a state visit to France in 1896 was given Marie Antoinette's room in Versailles. Oh, girl. Alexandra was completely delighted with this, but her entourage correctly found the association to be rather ominous. So that leads us to this conclusion of what do we think of Marie Antoinette? What do you think? I don't know. None of it was her fault. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, when you have a monarch or or a leader now that seems, like, totally out of touch, it is on them because they have resources to, like, the internet exists, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, modern shit. But she was so isolated in being a royal that, like, what the fuck was she supposed to do? I, I don't really think she stood a chance. I think there she, to some degree, was just a victim of wrong place, wrong time. It just happened at her. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I'm really not trying to portray her as some sort of, like, tragic heroine. Like, like you mentioned. Like, she... No, she's just a lady. <laughs> yeah. Like, she unquestionably was pleasure-loving and ex- extravagant, as Antonia Fraser makes a point to say. Um, she certainly sympathized with the poor. She was very generous in her charity, but I don't think she was capable of reflecting on how, like, the royal system actively perpetuated that poverty. Like, she just didn't have the tools 
to have that kind of introspection. Well, it's not like they let her sit in on budget hearings. No, yeah, and she like yeah, she had no influence over policy. Like she, even if she could have been more conscious of that, there was very little she would have been able to do about it. Yeah, I mean, she's no Princess Diana, no. but she's also not like a horrible yeah. bitch. Yeah, and there's say like she certainly had faults, but those faults were not unique to her. The whole royal family were huge spenders. But the visibility of her position meant that, like, she was the one who got the backlash for it. She also takes the blame yeah. for Louis's poor political decisions, like, despite the fact that but they're his she, decisions. Yeah, they're his decisions. Like, and just the irony of like her mother spent so much time pressing her to be more politically influential, and she never got that kind of influence. But in the end, like, that was the brush she got she was tarred with. For yeah. It. Uh, in the book, Antonia Fraser points out the fact that Louis never took a mistress as noble as he was probably only made this worse because also kind of the advantage of having a mistress is there's someone else to take the heat. Like there's, you can blame yeah. someone else. You, there's another woman you can blame for the bad things the king is doing, basically. Um which it's all very yeah. unfortunate. Which is all to say, and kind of my big thesis statement of this whole three-part saga is Marie Antoinette was a complicated lady, and blaming her for all of France's ills just completely ignores all the myriad ways a monarchy as an institution fucking sucks. So, well, yeah, it didn't just happen during Louis' reign. Like there was buildup. There were systems put in place that made it like that. Yes, centuries and centuries of problems compounding on each other. That led to a breaking point. So maybe cut the girl some slack. And she never told anyone to eat cake. <laughs> never, not one. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe a friend came over. She may, may have offered someone a piece of cake. Totally possible. She never told the poor people of France to eat cake. <laughs> That's all I've got. Well, that is our epic saga. Almost three hours nearly of Marie Antoinette content. I hope y'all learned some things. I hope you all have a deeper understanding of who Marie Antoinette was as a person and not a historical meme and maybe understood what happened in the French Revolution. And it's bit. definitely not the story of Les Mis because that was apparently a different revolution. <laughs> Completely different revolution. If you if you have one takeaway from this three hours of content, Les Mis was not about the French Revolution. I tried reading about the French Revolution that Les Mis was about, and I got so bored. <laughs> France had a couple of couple of interesting decades starting around Eddie this Redmayne time. Eddie didn't sing one song. <laughs> well, I mean, that was very informative. I definitely a little less dumb than I was when we started. That's that's all I can but do. Also, a little more dumb <laughs> than when we started. So I think it nets think out. Think of everything you've learned about Louis the Sixteenth's penis. Ugh, and how he worked. did sex. He just didn't know how to use it. <laughs> Ugh, God, that might have been the worst part. Um, all right. Well, we'll have pictures of some sort, I'm oh, sure, yeah. on the Instagram. They they won't be grisly. They will be sad. At Afternoonified. We're also on Twitter at Afternoonified. You can find us on our website at get af getafternoonified.com. Yes, that mm -hmm. is the right one. Um, you can also email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Um, remember to check out our new merch. It's very cute. It's adorable. Um, and remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that stuff. And we will see you next week with a mini and then the week after that for some very weird shit. Exciting. I, I am so ready to get back to weird shit. We've had four weeks in a row of the most depressing content you can imagine. I don't know why we started this season off with such a bummer, but... 
Well, we both picked uh, like a hyper focused <laughs> subject, and then we made it everyone else's problem. Basically, yeah. All right, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.